why not show your happiness to the world? Big Moves provides high-quality stickers and accessories made to spread happiness. Express yourself with hand-drawn art that's made for every big move. Our collection of inspirational, funny, trendy, and relatable designs make for the perfect gift for yourself, family, and friends. All of our stickers are printed and shipped with care right here in the U.S. Made of durable vinyl with a laminate cover, each sticker is made to stand up to indoor and outdoor use, waterproof and weather resistant. Don't forget to use promo code BMYSQUALA for 20% off your next order. Hey, how you doing, everybody? This is your man, Young Squalor, and this is another episode of Always Everything with Squalor Podcast, and today I have a special guest with me. Can you go ahead and introduce yourself for me, please? Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me to the program. My name's Richard Capriola. Uh, for uh, over two decades, I have been a mental health and addictions counselor, uh, worked at Menninger Clinic in Houston, Texas, which is a large psychiatric hospital where I treated both teenagers and adults. Uh, I retired from there not too long ago after working working for over a decade there. And I wrote a book, which is called The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse, to hopefully uh, provide uh, information, resources to parents about what can be a very um, upsetting topic for many parents uh, on teenage uh, substance use. So I wanted to give them some resources that would help them feel less afraid and, and more confident about this topic. Right, right, right. So, so you can, um, if you could tell us, give us some like background, basically like on the, what should parents look for in the, um, like yeah. the signs for teenage substance abuse and how to prevent it and, and the whole, the whole spell, like. Yeah. Let, let me begin by, by talking about, you know, what drugs are today's teenagers using? You know, for a long period of time, it's it's been alcohol and marijuana that kids have been attracted to. That's nothing new. That's been going on for decades. Right. Um, but what we noticed was during the pandemic year, uh, the pandemic actually forced a large decrease in adolescent substance use. It was the largest decrease in over 48 years wow. during the pandemic. Um, marijuana use, for example, fell from 35% to 30%. Um, and and even alcohol drinking among teenagers fell from 55% to 46% during that pandemic year. However, during 2022, a year after the pandemic, wow. what we found was that alcohol use, alcohol use among seniors rebounded. They started drinking more when they got back in school. Um, and, and it's a significantly, statistically significant increase. In fact, uh, it, it looks like that one year decline in alcohol drinking among teenagers during the pandemic was fleeting uh, and, and has had very little long-term impact. The other thing that I think parents need to be aware of is what's called vaping, where a teenager um, and adults will take a vaping instrument um, and they'll put a cartridge in it that has marijuana or maybe nicotine, turns it into a vapor, and then the kids inhale that. 
Well, for three years prior to the pandemic year, vaping among teenagers was exploding. It was dramatically sure. increasing. Um, and it, they were vaping either nicotine because they were getting away from smoking cigarettes. And, and rather than smoke cigarettes, they vape nicotine uh, or they were vaping marijuana. Uh, so for three years prior to the pandemic, it was just it was one year after another of dramatic increases in teenagers vaping. Um, and the marijuana use itself outside of vaping, um, that has increased slightly after the pandemic at all three grade levels, grade eight, 10, and 12. Wow. Um, you know, and so alcohol, marijuana, and vaping, I think, are the three major substances that high school kids are using. Uh, there's some use of inhalants some use of hallucinogens and cocaine, uh, but but really very small percentages of kids are, are into those drugs. Um, prescribed medications that's used for attention deficit disorder, Ritalin, Adderall, things like that. Mm-hmm. We, we saw that that significantly increased during 2022. And we think the reason for that is that when kids were isolating at home, parents began to notice that their kids were having some attention issues and they sought out medical help for those attention issues, which resulted in them getting prescribed the medication. So, you know, the the number of kids that were prescribed these medications went from about 11% to 15%. I think parents became more aware of some of the uh, attention issues their kids were having when they were at home during the pandemic year. So that's an overview pretty much of what the drugs are that are out there that that are kids kids are using. So the question comes up, why do teenagers use these drugs? You know, what's going on? Why are they using them? Well, there's many reasons. There's no one reason. I think some teenagers get involved uh, because of peer pressure. You know, kids are hanging around with, they want to fit in. They want to use the substance. If their friends are drinking alcohol, they want to drink. If their friends are using marijuana, they're going to join in. So for some kids, it's peer pressure. Or maybe if it's not pressure, they're just hanging around with a group of friends that are using substances and they want to join in. Right. Um, for some kids, though, not not all kids, but for some kids, there's an underlying emotional issue why they're using a substance. When I was treating teenagers at Menninger Clinic, I would ask them, why are you smoking so much marijuana? You know, help help me. Why are you smoking all of this marijuana? The number one answer that came back was it helps me with my anxiety. It helps me with my anxiety. So for some kids, they're using a substance, whether it's alcohol or marijuana or some other drug, to medicate an underlying issue like maybe anxiety, maybe depression, maybe some type of trauma, and they're using it to medicate that. And unfortunately for a lot of these kids, those underlying issues of anxiety, depression, trauma are not diagnosed and they're not being treated. So kids are going to find a way to get out of that feeling of being uncomfortable. And when they find a drug that gets them feeling better, they're going to use it. Um, So there's different reasons why kids use. I tell parents, every kid, every kid is at risk of getting involved in substances. Every kid. 
there is no kid that's totally protected. There might be protective environments, but every kid is vulnerable. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter what school you send your kid to. It doesn't matter what church you go to. Every kid is vulnerable to becoming captured by either alcohol or drugs. Um, and parents need to be aware of it, not be afraid of it. Don't become paranoid about this, right. but, but educate yourself. Knowledge is power. The more you can learn about it, the, the more comfortable you, you feel. You hope you never have to deal with this issue as a parent. But if you do, you want to feel confident that you can deal with it. And that's part of the reason why I wrote my book, too, was to give parents the resources to hopefully help them feel more confident about this issue. So if you do have a kid that's using substances, what, what do you do? Well, my book recommends the first thing you do is get an assessment. Find out what's going on. Find out how serious the problem is. Um, and, and, and if the assessments show that the teenager has a substance use disorder, um, you're going to know how severe it is. You're going to know what it what's involved. And you're going to get some recommendations on how to treat it. Uh, and, and for that, you rely on the professionals to give you the advice and the recommendations. There is no one treatment that fits every kid. Every kid's different. Every circumstance is different. Every treatment plan's different. Some kids will do very well in an outpatient program where they may see somebody once or twice a week. Others will do well in what we call an intensive program where they see somebody several times a week. And then for some kids, usually the ones with severe substance use and severe psychological issues, those kids will likely do better in what we call a longer term residential program, where they're in a program for, you know, for weeks or months um, to address both the substance use and the underlying mental health issues. So uh, really the assessment leads to the diagnosis the diagnosis leads to a treatment plan, and then you can follow up and and get the get the treatment that your that your child needs. Right. You asked earlier about warning signs. Yep. You know, so many times I sat across from a family, and I went through the history of their child's using a substance. You know, what substances were they using? How early did they begin? How often were they using? And I would give them a diagnosis of a substance use disorder. And they would look across at me and they would say, I had no idea this was going on. Uh, or if they did suspect their child was using a substance, they might say, I, saw, I, I thought something was going on, but I didn't think it was this bad. Right. Now, these are good parents. These are very good parents doing the best job they can. They missed the warning signs because nobody told them what to look for. Nobody told them what the warning signs were. Nobody told them they should be looking out for these things. So they missed it and were blindsided by it later because teenagers are very clever. They know how to fly under the radar. They know how to keep this stuff hidden. Um, so in my book, I have warning signs for a child that might be drinking alcohol. I have warning signs for a child that might be using marijuana. I have warning signs for a child that might be developing an eating disorder or, or self-harming themselves because sometimes uh, an eating disorder and self-injury can accompany a kid using a substance. But as a general rule, what I say to parents, pay attention to the changes you see in your child. You know your child better than anyone. Pay attention to the changes that you see. Don't 
don't assume that the changes you're seeing are just normal adolescent acting out behaviors. They may very well be that, but they also might be an indication that there's something else underneath the surface going on. So some examples would be a child whose grades are starting to decline, a child who used to be active uh, in, in extracurricular activities, sports activities, now shows no interest in those activities, doesn't want to participate, doesn't want to play sports um, or whatever they were doing. Uh, a child who becomes very secretive about where they've been and what they've been doing. A child who is very secretive about who their friends were. You used to, they used to let you know who their friends were. You might've known who their friends were or their families were and now becomes very secretive. Of, right. of, of you know who their friends are and then of course if you find any paraphernalia around the house that's like a big big red sign right yeah. there that that usually parents will pick up on but some of these other warning signs can be really subtle and and, and you may not as a parent pick up on them so um i wanted to ask you i know you i heard you talking a lot about marijuana a few minutes ago so i was going to yeah. ask you how do you feel about the, the decriminalization and the legalization of marijuana? You know, more and more states are more moving towards making it legal right. uh, for adults, not for kids, but right, for right, adults. Right. And, you know, and, 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 for, and for some adults, they actually get benefit from marijuana. You know, it, it helps. It helps with anxiety. It might help with pain, uh, any number of issues. So for, for, for some adults, marijuana actually can be beneficial, can help them. My issue is if adults decide that they want to smoke marijuana legally, that's a decision that, that they make for themselves. But for children, it's different. For adolescents, it's different because their brains are not fully developed. Our brains don't become fully developed until around age 24 or 25. So there's a big difference between an adult smoking marijuana and a teenager smoking marijuana. And that big difference, one of those big differences is the teenage brain isn't developed. So when you start putting a substance like marijuana or any other drug into a developing brain, you run the risk of doing some damage. So I think the big difference is adults' brains are fully developed. They can smoke it legally where it's legally allowed, but adolescents, they shouldn't be touching it because of you want to protect that brain. Exactly. So do you... Do you believe that the teen substance abuse is is connected to the teen violence that's exploding right now? I don't necessarily think think it's a. I think there are so many cultural issues behind that that you can't really pinpoint it and say you know that the violence is because they're smoking marijuana or the violence is because they're doing drugs. Certainly, you know, if you're under the influence of substance, it's going to distort your perception. It's probably going to change some of your behaviors. But I think the violence that we see is much more complex than being able to say, well, we're just going to say it's because of drugs. I don't think it's that simple. There's a whole bunch of social economic issues that, that, you know, that need to be addressed. Have you, have you have any experience with teen, like personal experience with teen substance abuse? For myself? Yeah. Like, do you know somebody personally or maybe someone close to you? Um, no, not, not really close to me. Um, 
substances. I've treated a lot of uh, substances. Um, I have uh, not my kids, but two of my brother's children died as a result of okay. drug overdose. Um, he had three children, two of them passed away because of drug overdose. So that's, that's about as close as it came to me personally. Wow. Man. Sorry to hear that, man. Yeah, it's, 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 that's something no parent should ever have to go through. Right, right. So what is a common myth that you know about teen substance abuse? A common myth. That's a good question. A common myth. I think a common myth is that it's not that widespread. I think a common myth is that only certain kids get involved with drugs. Only the bad kids get involved with drugs, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I can tell you that that is absolutely not true. The kids that I treated at Menninger Clinic in Houston, Texas, came from very wealthy families. Um, they they came from some of the best schools in the nation. So this idea that, that, that drugs are coming from a certain social economic background or a certain neighborhood uh, or a certain, you know, uh, type of family or kids, that's all nonsense. Yeah, that's all nonsense. So do you think in that in that regard, do you think that maybe the the wealthier family may have a more better access to the resources to get their child help? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There's no question in my mind that, you know, that that, you know, families who have the wealth and the ability to to, to provide the best treatments, right. you know, they, they get them for the, for their, their kids. I, I, I saw lots of that when I was treating kids, <laughs> they came from very wealthy families. Yeah. And sadly, the large majority of kids, they don't come from wealthy families. They right. don't come from families that can afford, you know, $10,000 a month or, or $20,000 or whatever it costs. And, 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 and they're the ones that sort of fall through, you know, the loops. Those are the ones that need the treatment the most and can't get it because it is so expensive. Now, fortunately, there are some programs out there, mental health associations, um, you know, that are trying to fill in that gap. But the large majority of kids who need treatment are denied that treatment because their families can't afford it. Exactly. So what would you suggest to a family that's put in that situation? I would say that, number one, um, check with some of these treatment programs, because if they are uh, tax-exempt treatment programs, like Menninger Clinic, for example, they are required to offer a certain percentage um, of services to low-income families that can't afford it. So it doesn't hurt to ask, you know, call up and, and say, hey, you know, this is my situation. Can you help me out? Because they're required to provide a certain number of spaces for people who can't afford them. The other thing is a lot of the mental health associations, community mental health associations are also available to help low-income families. Um, so I, I want people to know that it, 
there are resources out there uh, that can help you. Um, and if you're in that situation, reach out to as many people, as many resources as you can. You know, start with your school counselor, start with your school social worker or school psychologist, call the National Institute on Mental Health, um, call as many people as you can to see, hey, I need some help for my kid. Can you help me find a place? And, and, and more times than not, I think you'll find some help. So, I know we've been saying a lot for the parents and whatnot. So, like, well, like, let's say, for example, a parent may not know. A parent may spend more time at work than at the home, and they may not see the signs that the child is on substance abuse. So, what what would you say to to that type of situation there? Like, maybe to the child, maybe to the parent as well, because, like, it would be, maybe there's a disconnect. That's because, you know, I grew up in kind of a household that way. My mom was mostly at work. I was raised by my mom and my grandmother. Yeah. Father was living in another state. So when my mom when there was at work, I was basically at home by, my, by myself. So there was really mm-hmm. no one to, like, even pay attention to me at all. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So what did, what, a... would you, what would you Go say to someone in that situation? I think there's a lot of people in that situation, a lot of single parents raising kids, going to work every day, trying to make ends meet, Um, you know, that uh, kids, you know, are, are, are in an environment where, you know, the parents are struggling to work. They have to go to work. They have to provide and, and, and parents come home exhausted. You know, and, and, and yep. you know, kids, for whatever reason, fly under the radar, maybe get involved with drinking alcohol, maybe get involved with using substances. And the parents are, are, are totally unaware of it. They're focused on getting getting to work and getting back and getting food. And, yeah. and, and, the, and then sadly, it becomes a crisis situation. The kid overdoses or he gets in trouble. Right. And then the parent is in a crisis situation and perhaps for the first time finds out that their kids drinking alcohol or using substances. And then the parent starts to beat themselves up. How did I miss the warning signs? What kind of a parent am I? How could this have happened? And they really, really get hard on themselves. And, and what I say to those parents is get some support for yourself. You're going to need it. Um, You know, don't try to do this alone. Get some support. Family members, friends, churches, community support groups, whatever you can, because you're going to need some support. We, we, We put a lot of focus on the kid because that's the one using the drug, and there should be focus on that child. But we often forget the parent, and the parent's left out there alone. So the parent needs help, and the parent needs support too. But you raise a good point. So many of these parents are tied up with working, 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 you know. And, that's most of the country there. Most of, that's literally most of the country. Yeah, they, they, they're, <laughs> they're just trying to live. Yep. And then if they've got one or two kids, they're just trying to survive and support those kids. And then all of a sudden, for some of them, they get hit with the fact that their child's using a drug. And the whole world collapses around them. Those are the parents that need help. Yeah. Then I have I have one more question. So there's one another scenario that a lot of people don't talk about. 
But then there's the parents who say it's no big deal. Maybe they're using the drug with the child. You know, there's there's situations like that. I've seen videos. Of, yeah. yeah. So like, what, what what do you think that situation like? How do, how do we? Like, I, like, <laughs> you know, the, the parent doesn't think it's any big deal, so they're obviously not seeking help. So it's like uh, that's that's just a disaster waiting to happen. Yeah, you know, that, that's going to explode at some point. Um, you know, you have a parent that's using a substance probably needs to get help for themselves, uh, might be dealing with all kinds of issues in their own life that they never got help on. And then the kid looks at the parent, the parents using a substance, the kid thinks, well, can't be all that bad. Mom or dad's using it. So I think I will too. And pretty soon the family's you know, going down the wrong road, you know, using a substance or drinking alcohol. Um, that's just a time bomb waiting to blow up. And and unfortunately, there's probably not much you can do to disarm it. Yeah. Unless you can get through to the parent. And many times the parent, they don't, they don't want any help. Yeah, no. and that, the sad part is the kid is, is caught in that environment. Yeah. So there's little help for him either or her. So they grow up with the wrong mindset and it yeah. starts, starts a bad, bad cycle. Absolutely. So it's Absolutely. Like, that brings me to my like next question. Like, do you think the the community or maybe the lack thereof a community presence has an effect or hat on the uh teens that are using the substances? No, absolutely. You know, the, the, the old community environment is not what it was like 20, 30, 40 years ago. Right. You know, it's a completely different world out there and not always a good, good world. Um, but but there's a lot that we could be doing to help these kids, too. And the schools could be doing a lot more. You know, the, the schools seem to be focused on this, you know, just say no crap. You know, that doesn't work. I mean, it doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, you can tell kids yeah. the drugs are illegal. You can tell them they shouldn't use. You can tell them that, you know, it's it's bad for them or they're, you know, maybe they won't develop or graduate. They don't believe any of that crap, you know. <laughs> What I found they do pick up on and what they do care about is the neuroscience, their brain. You talk to them about their brain and protecting their brain, and you talk to them about how drugs change their brain, yeah. that they're interested in. Yeah. <laughs> Better sense. Because like a lot of people dismiss the fact that kids are human, so they don't really explain things to them <laughs> the right way. No, they just want to tell them don't do this or don't do that. Yeah, so it's like, Give them a good reason why they may they may not do it. Yeah, right. Tell them about the teach them about the brain. Teach them how the brain works. Teach them how to, the need to protect the brain, and then and then teach them how drugs change their brain. They're more likely to pay attention to that. So, do you think the music and the entertainment is also a part of the problem? <laughs> <laughs> I I don't I don't think it's a big part of the problem. I I wouldn't I wouldn't. I wouldn't criticize it as, as being a bad influence. Uh, I think, you know, it's it's such a complex issue that I don't think you can point to, you know, one thing, one song, one music, and, and say right. that that's influencing these kids because I don't I don't think that's true. Right, because you know, like my opinion, I I think it I think it plays a part. I think it does play a part slightly because you know, 
the censorship aspect of TV has gone away. Like anybody can watch anything, no matter how old, younger you are. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But maybe like, like there's a show is like Shameless. I don't know if you've ever seen Shameless or heard of it, but there's a lot of drug use in it. Like the kids aren't really using it, but it's it's a lot. <laughs> but it's almost you know, and it's almost like when they see that that it becomes acceptable. Right. You know, the more we present it as being acceptable or fun, yeah. Um, the more kids get a perception that, well, it can't be that bad. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, I think the best, the best way is to like, I think we should bring back censorship. Because I remember back when I was growing up, TV wasn't. It wasn't as raunchy as it is now. Like <laughs> they definitely like there was a time like maybe in the middle of the night certain things would come on, but now it's just it's wide open. <laughs> it's it's any time of the day or night, it's and th there's so much, so many different channels and so many different ways to see it that uh, yeah. you can find just about anything you want to find out there. And yeah. if it's not on TV, you're going to find it on one of these social networks. So, yep, social media. <laughs> oh, yep, oh, absolutely. So, like this is this is the final question. What do you think the the best solutions to prevent, like the best solutions to prevent teen substance abuses? Education, education, specifically neuroscience education. Teach kids about the brain, teach them how important the brain is, teach them how the brain develops. Start in elementary school. In elementary school, teach them about the brain. That's it, just about the brain how important it is, what it does, the need to keep it protected. Then as they move into middle school and high school, now that they understand about the brain from when they were in elementary school and learned about it in elementary school, when they move into the high school age or the middle school age, then you can start to talk to them and teach them how drugs work in the brain. If you're going to change this behavior among kids, you need to do it through education and through focusing on neuroscience and the brain, because that's what they're interested in. They're curious about their brain. They want to learn about their brain. So if you can start by teaching them about the brain, and then as they get into middle school or high school, show them how the brain works and how drugs affect the brain you might stand a chance of moving moving them away from experimenting with drugs. Perfect, perfect, perfect. So now that the interview is coming to a close, how do you feel about the interview? I think it was great. You, your, your questions were right on target. They were really very good. Uh, thank you so much. You helped make this a, a, a more informative discussion. Definitely. I appreciate that. So tell the audience where they can find your book, they can find my book uh, on Amazon. Uh, it's titled The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. They can also go to the book's website, which is www.helptheaddictedchild.com. Helptheaddictedchild.com. When they get there, 
they can read endorsements, they can read book reviews, they can read a sample chapter, and there'll be a link that'll take them directly to uh, Amazon where it's available as a Kindle for people who like to read on a Kindle, and it's available in a paperback. I kept it to about 100 pages because people don't have time to read volumes of information. So I kept the chapters short. I kept it in uh, language that I would have liked to have as a parent um, because I wanted to keep it informative, but very easy to read. Right. That's perfect. And I'll put those links in the description for us so that people can just click on it and go straight to it. Thank you. Definitely, Thank you. Definitely, definitely. I appreciate you for coming on, man. Thanks a lot. Right. Hey, I appreciate the fact that you gave me the opportunity and that you helped participate in this discussion with your with your thoughts and your comments. I think you helped make this hopefully a much more informative discussion. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Appreciate you. Okay. You have a good weekend. You do the same. All right, sir. Thank you. All right.